0: This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. I know that this is kind of concentrated, and I've been told that when I talk, it's a little bit like drinking out of a fire hydrant, because there's a lot of material. Um, That's just the way I am. I don't like to waste time. (laughs) <laughs> so, in any case, uh, hopefully you'll get your money's worth. But, um, of course, it's all free. It comes from the Lord anyway. But, uh, but it's valuable. Just because we get it free doesn't mean it's not really valuable. It's like Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. sounds rather heartless. Like if you're outside on the street and you say to a bunch of homeless people, come you who have no money, come buy and eat. But then the magic words, without money and without price. Now that doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Because God has paid for it with with the blood of Christ. I mean, it's infinitely valuable. But it comes to us free. For the simple reason that we, we couldn't pay for it if we tried, could we? Nothing that we give could come close. Well, let's continue now. And we're going to be building and building, but we had to start a foundation on the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to build a little more. Ability to witness for Christ. This is what Christ promises. What we're going to be looking at now is in the book of Acts, the great example of what can happen when the Spirit is taking over a group of people. And we want that to happen today. And we believe it's going to happen. In fact, That was just a preview of what's going to happen. Okay, but Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the end of the world, to the end of the earth. And what happens when this gospel of the kingdom goes to all the world as a witness to all nations? What happens according to Matthew 24? The end comes, okay? So this is the roadmap to the end. And we certainly want that to happen. All right, now let's break that down. You shall receive power. This is the gift of ability to do something. See, we think of power uh, in human terms, political power, money, wealth, ability to coerce other people. That's not what it's talking about. It's ability to do things. It's not the throbbing, uh, huge pipe organ, and I love that. Uh, It's not the, the choir, the stained glass windows. I love all of that. That's not the power. And human beings tend to see power in human terms. We tend to think big is better, don't we? I'm going to talk about that seventh afternoon. There's a breakout session on uh, worship. And when I was asked to do that, I said, I'm really not an expert on worship. But I'll talk to you about some aspects that um, I think are an issue. And one of them is this aspect right here. What do we mean by power? Because I'm afraid that we as Seventh-day Adventists have gotten into a bit of the worldly aspect of what religious power is. And uh, so it's the institutions, it's all of those things, it's the things you can see, the things you can administer, the things you can budget, that's the power. I'm I'm telling you, friends, that's not the power. My um, father-in-law was born in China. His parents were missionaries. And they had to leave China in about 1937 when the Japanese came in. The Japanese came in, and then the communists came in, took over all of our Adventist institutions, which the early pioneer missionaries had built up with great effort. And they were very successful. There were schools and colleges. There were hospitals all over China. Tremendous work. Great institutions that these foreign missionaries had built up. The communists came in, and it was swept away in one year gone, as far as our work is concerned. What happened? Well, you know, we thought, oh, the Adventist work is stopped in China. There's all those communists. Until years later, we learn the work is going underground. That's where the power was. And if you've ever met Rebecca Liu, who is one of our PhD students in the seminary, studying a PhD in New Testament, she says that, um, in fact, yes, those institutions were wonderful, but the work has gone ahead much more strongly when it was going at that grassroots level. You know, it couldn't be seen in that way, and yet now all of a sudden we see all these people, and her mother, who used to be a Maoist, she used to go and and yell slogans, Maoist slogans during the Cultural Revolution. Her mother became a Christian and has raised up A lot of churches and 20,000 people have accepted Christ because of her ministry. One woman, see? And it's just amazing what the Holy Spirit is doing. They do need some help now with training workers. And so that's why Rebecca is getting a a doctor to try to go back and help. But it's not all the institutions that's the power. It's the power of one-on-one. It's the power of, here's one word, Love. But love, not in the Hollywood sense. You know, I was leaving a supermarket years ago, and on the way out, I made the mistake of picking up a People magazine just to see what those folks were up to. And here's a picture of this really good-looking Hollywood actor with his arms around his new girlfriend. She was beautiful. And it says underneath that he said, his words were, she's got the most beautiful body I've ever seen. We're very much in love. Okay? Well, you know, okay, that's part of it. But um, the love of God is so much greater that it takes the whole Bible to teach us what, what his love really is all about. Okay? So, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, wait for the Spirit to take charge. God has his timing And we often want to rush things. We want to get things ahead. And we're frustrated when things don't happen. But his timing is absolutely impeccable. I've seen that so many times in my life. When I I was waiting for something, and then, boom, like when I finished my Ph.D., I didn't have a job. And two days after I graduated and I was Dr. Gain, I was out digging a post hole on a construction site, and I remember that Ph.D. means post hole digger. And all that summer, you know, I had to wait. I'd I'd done 14 years of graduate study beyond college. I'd studied 17 languages. All of this effort, a tremendous amount of effort, because I believe God was leading me. He provided all the way through this. And even when I hit the bottom of the barrel, he was there for me, picked me up, and, and taught me not to depend on my own resources, but on him. And so when I finished then, I went through that summer, no job. But, you know, by then, I refused to worry. Being there and done that, he's going to take care of me. I know he will. And so, uh, it so happened on my birthday, on my birthday, I got a phone call from the chairman of the religion department at PUC, and he offered me a job over the phone. He hadn't met me, but he knew some people who knew me, and he offered me a job over the phone. And so, I, all of a sudden, two and a half weeks before the school year starts, when I thought it was too late, a certain John McVeigh had left the department to go and become the pastor of the college church, and they needed someone right away to, to teach. So the Holy Spirit, we have to wait. Big, big movements are happening, and we have to wait. You shall be witnesses to me. That's the purpose of the gift of ability. It's not so that people are looking to me. And personally, I have something I always tell my students, and and, and that is, I have two fears about teaching. My first fear is that people will not believe me. And my second fear is that they will. (laughs) Because I'm afraid that people are going to take my word for it instead of going to the word. And that's why I'm putting so much scripture up here so you can see it right from the word. Okay, witnesses to Christ. That's the purpose of the gift of ability. Everything. And the church body, we're going to talk about the, the point is that all this variety of gifts gives God's outreach so much power to reach a great variety of people in the world. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth, start at home. They were at Jerusalem. Start at home. Don't have the idea, well, I'm going to go and do something for the whole world, but the neighbor behind my house, down the street, maybe in my home, the neighbor's stranger family member, right? Start at home. Start with Jerusalem, and then Jesus will help you branch out from there in widening circles to the end of the earth. These are very, very important principles. Notice you receive power. You don't whip it up yourself. You don't conjure it. You don't imagine it in your mind. It's not some kind of ego thing. You receive that power as a gift from God, and then he takes charge. He gives you the ability to witness for Christ, and then you start where you are, and you work out from there this was fulfilled. Now look at the the different elements that are fulfilled. When? See? Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were together, they were in one, one accord. Notice this unity. Collective community is important. A rushing mighty wind. Remember spirit and wind are the same word. Fill the house where they were sitting. There appeared divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them. So the Spirit is distributed. It's not that the fire sits on one person, the paid, ordained minister who works for the conference. Ooh. Is this heresy? No. The Spirit is on all of them. Every man, woman, and young person in that assembly because they were all believers in Christ. And that's what's part of being Christian. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, and they were in Jerusalem, Jews. Oh, okay, so notice Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll have power. So they had power, something unusual, ability, special ability, to speak to these people from every nation. So God gave them power to meet a situation in order to witness for him. Now, there there are some people these days who think that you haven't, Receive the Holy Spirit, unless you speak in tongues. But this was only one manifestation. Did Jesus said, "Wait in Jerusalem until you speak in tongues"? And, no, until you fill with the Spirit. And if you look through the Book of Acts, there are many different ways that the Spirit was manifested, including through prophecy and uh, healing and through gifts of the Spirit in terms of giving people ability to function efficiently in a particular role within the body of believers, to reach out to others. These are all manifestations of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues was just something very striking, very helpful at that particular time because you had all these people from every nation, and those disciples didn't have the ability to speak all those languages. Now, It's true that all of these people there knew some Aramaic and they knew some Greek and they could get along, right? But God wanted that message to go right to their heart in the language that they understood, their mother tongue. And so God did that on that occasion. Peter said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Notice, it's not just speaking in tongues because it says, see, it's this. What's happening here right now is fulfilling this, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions, old men shall see dream dreams. Joel 2 doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues, does it? But yet he said, This is a fulfillment of that. You see the point? Okay, so it's the point of of the Spirit moving on these people was the Spirit accomplished something to communicate the love of God to the hearts of people in a way that the people couldn't by themselves. And this can be in very striking ways or it can be in subtle ways. The Spirit doesn't really care whatever is the most efficient. Do you remember Elijah? Remember Elijah? And Elijah is, (laughs) there's a a wind that breaks in pieces, the rock, and there's a fire and there's an earthquake and all that. But the Lord wasn't in those things. The Lord was in the still small voice. If you translate that into modern English, it's the Microsoft Word. Right? Yeah. And so that's where the Lord was. The Lord can work in subtle, quiet ways. And that's the greatest, look, the greatest power I've experienced in my life is the story I told you about where I prayed for love. That's the greatest miracle in my life. And God gave me love where there wasn't. Uh, Talk about overcoming obstacles. Yes, I've been protected from physical harm a lot of different times in my life, much more than the statistical average, which makes me wonder about a saying, um, just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean there's nobody out to get you. But all of those things, I've come within a split second of getting killed a number of different times, and I can tell you those stories. But the greatest miracle is that love in my heart. And whenever I'm talking with anyone who has lost their sight of God. They've gone into... There's one. Some have just gone off fishing in the ocean. I like to stay on the ship to do my fishing, but some people jump into the ocean. They're looking around, and they want to know what evidence I have for the existence of God, and I tell them that story. Okay, now notice here that Peter is putting the people in touch right at the beginning with God's written word, his promises in his written word. This is what was spoken of by the Bible, all right? God promised it, and he delivered on his promise, and that was right at the beginning. He didn't just philosophize about it. He didn't talk to them about their priorities and all kinds of abstract things. He directly put them in touch with the Word of God. And that's what the Spirit does. Brings to your remembrance what God has already told you so that there is that connection, and you see, yes, God is leading and we remember how he led in the past, so we remember how he's leading. And we see his prophecies being fulfilled, so he knows he's going to fulfill more of it. That gives us hope, and it keeps pulling us along. Notice, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. It's not just, it's not just for men. It's not just for people of any one ethnicity. It's for everybody. Jesus, and now he testifies to Jesus. So you see, it's being fulfilled. You will glorify me, Jesus had said. And here he does. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Peter is impelled by the Spirit to give a message that was appropriate for that audience, and it drove right to their hearts. Now, is this message still applicable today? You have crucified Jesus. You bet it is it 's absolutely applicable, Martin Luther said, We have all crucified Christ, and we have the nails in our pockets okay? and i 'm thinking of a, a story recently somebody told me, maybe you heard the story as well that there were some folks in a in an elevator leaving a shopping mall, and there was a lady there who had a young, young woman she'd been shopping all day, and she was tired and she was frazzled, and she was stressed and she said in this rather crowded elevator. She said, whoever, whoever it was that invented this Christmas thing should just be strung up and beaten up and, and, and killed or whatever. She, and somebody in the back said, he was. Yeah. Yeah, he was. You have crucified him. Everyone on planet Earth is responsible for the death of Christ because it was our sins that killed him. And when people realize that message, when we lift up Christ on the cross, everyone will be drawn to him. That is the message. And it's not just that he died, but he has risen and is being glorified, and it was the resurrection that the apostles proclaimed. He is there, and he's living for us. And when that really sinks in, that Jesus did die for you, whether you like it or not, he did die for you. He poured out that love for you. He treated you Not like everybody else treats you. They treat you like scum, like dirt. They treat you less than a one dollar bill. Jesus paid a trillion dollar price for you. He's not going to throw you away. You're more valuable than the hoop diamond. And, And when people realize that, it just radically changes their perspective. Because the cross is the ugliest event in human history. And it's simultaneously the most beautiful thing in human history. Where there we see the love of God in its purest form. Went through the ultimate fire. In fact, the fires of hell. And there is the love of God shining forth for you. Wow. Whom God raised up. See the resurrection. For David says concerning him. And then he applies more scripture. So when you're speaking through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is using you. The Holy Spirit has you get in touch with the written word, and who was the author, by the way, of the written word? The Spirit. You see, if I've uh, written something that may be of help to you in the process of my presentation, I refer to it, and I've done that already today, okay? I said I've written about that somewhere else. The Spirit does that too. We're expected to cherish what he has already given us. Why should he give us more if we've neglected what he's already given us? And that goes for the Bible, and that, gives for, uh, get, that, that also goes for the um, messages that we've received through a modern-day messenger of the Lord. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, Those we need to cherish. This is all messages to us from the Spirit. If we want to have the Holy Spirit in the latter rain outpouring at the end of time, but we have neglected to get in touch with what the Spirit has given us already, and I'm uh, referring to myself as well. I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading that, um, but I have a lot more. I need to spend a lot more time doing that. We need to saturate ourselves with the thoughts of the Spirit. And we do that through study of the Bible, study of, from the Lord's messenger for this end time, who is not part of the canonical Bible, but it's a special message for us. And as we do that, we're going to get more and more in touch with the Spirit. We're going to settle into the truth. And God will then feel safe in pouring his massive spotlight on us. Not because of what we've done, but because of what we've allowed him to do. As Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. And then he can give us that power which will attract that attention. You see? Yeah. You don't want to have, I mean, if someone's not ready to, to be there under the spotlight, then they shouldn't be. Otherwise, things get embarrassing. And we could tell embarrassing stories. That some of them are funny, but, I mean, this would be tragic. For God to put his spotlight on his people at the end, he needs to have the message that comes out, not just of what they say, but of what they do, and of who they are in terms of their relationships with each other. And that's why this conference is so important, because we get here and we link, we hook up, and we're encouraged by seeing, I'm not alone, there's everyone else out here wanting the same thing. We have the same mission and vision. All right, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. All right, Peter said, Repent, let everyone of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is speaking to all those people, right? The promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. And we are here in 2011. We are far off. And what has he promised to us? Be baptized, remission of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you? Absolutely. So the only question is how we receive the gift. And, of course, if we have given our hearts to Christ, We have already received the gift, haven't we? But we want a greater measure. We want a greater outpouring of that gift. We want that corporate outpouring, and we're going to get to that. All right. And with many other words he testified, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who received his word were baptized. 3,000 souls were added. That means that 3,000 people received the Holy Spirit. Right? Okay. Because that goes with That goes with it. We're going to talk more this afternoon about that. The sealing of the Spirit, and that is part of being a Christian, is receiving that sealing of the promised Holy Spirit. Conversion does not take place without the Spirit. If you have a transformation that applies at your conversion, which may come before, it may come after your baptism, the baptism is supposed to come after the conversion. But that real conversion, if you have a change of attitudes, a change of heart, you have love in your heart for others. You don't have that temper, that lust, that selfishness, all of those other things like you had before. Yes, you have growth, but you're a new person now. Then you've received the gift of the Spirit, and God is working with you. Of course, we want want more. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. Now, that word there is in Greek, didache, which means teaching. The apostles' teaching. What were the apostles' teaching? What do you think they were teaching? Well, they were teaching words that the Lord had said, because they'd walked and talked with him for three years, and also the words that were in Scripture that were about him. You remember Luke 24, 27. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus opened to those disciples all the things in Scriptures concerning himself from Moses and the prophets, and so on. And then later they said, did not our hearts burn within us? They, it was just so amazing, so exciting. They were right? because those texts had opened up their minds to see Jesus. They saw him in the Word. So, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. Now, that's very significant. This is cryptic. There's a lot that's boiled in right here. Look at all these things. Teaching, Fellowship, that's so crucial. They ate together, prayers. Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done. They were together, had all things in common, and they sold and divided them to, to anyone who had need. Their material possessions no longer were important to them. Nicodemus was a wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. They sold their possessions. They helped to fund the early church of God. All huh? right. So here we see a number of different aspects of the Spirit-filled life. Devotion to teaching of the Word. It's highly social. The Spirit-saturated life is very social. Breaking of bread, so every meal becomes like a sacrament. That, not, in, not in the sense of, of sacraments, but in the sense that every meal together is holy. Because we acknowledge God, we praise Him for what He's done. And praise for God is so crucial. We don't praise Him enough. I mean really praise Him for all the things that He does for us. What does that do? It reinforces our dependence, our humility. It also increases our confidence, our courage, our hope. Praise is crucial for us. It does much more for us than it does for God. But our praise is also good for God in the sense that others draw strength from that and they are directed to Him. You had a question? Why the, meal? Why, the Why the meal? Why the food? Well, you see, for one thing, in this era, the table fellowship was very important. And if you ate with each other, that showed that you were on good terms with someone. All right? That was crucial. You were friends. And so this is a body of friendship. It didn't matter what, what background you came from. And these people came from a lot of different backgrounds. Uh, I, the Pharisees, you remember, were highly exclusive about their table fellowship. You had to obey our rules. You had to wash your arms just right and all of the rest. No, this is, everyone gets together. D- doesn't matter what your background, and then later it becomes an issue with Gentiles, right? Yeah. You remember how Paul remonstrated with Peter when he didn't eat with the Gentiles? And so that's what the issue is. We're all one. It's the unity. And then, of course, prayers to God. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done, had everything in common. Okay, fear came... This is really awful what God was doing. <clears throat> the fear of God is a very important thing. And, you know, we, we sometimes want to dilute it. But when you're confronted with a massive power, fear is appropriate. Huh? I mean, if you're, if you're out there looking at the ocean and you're dealing with the elements of nature, then a little healthy fear is appropriate. Now, it doesn't, it's not the kind of fear that drives out love. Because perfect fear drives out love, just the way perfect love drives out fear. But it means that we acknowledge the greatness of God, and we're awestruck by what he's doing. And it gives us a sense of accountability, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. So continuing daily with one accord, so unity in the temple. There was temple worship there, breaking bread from house to house. They ate food with gladness. Simplicity of heart, praising God. Now, notice simplicity of heart. Our lives are fraught with complexity, aren't they? Everything pulling us all different directions, and everyone's trying to get our attention. You get mail all the time that says important dated material. Open immediately. <laughs> Another credit card offer. Yeah, I don't have time for the important things in life. There's too many important things. I only have time for the most important thing and simplicity of heart. They're they're focused. They're unified. I believe that God is going to take us home when we want to go home badly enough. When that's our only priority and everything else is put aside. Praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily. Who added? The evangelism program, the conference, the the program. It was the Lord. Those who were being saved, they were in a process of, of being saved. Praise the Lord for that. Christ's gift. Now, what is going on on earth is really a reflection of what's going on in heaven. Look at this passage here. To each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is Ephesians. When he, that is Christ, ascended on high, that is when he began his priestly ministry in the heavenly sanctuary, he led captivity captive. Wow, I like that. (laughs) He led captivity captive. You're free. And he gave gifts to men. What was the gift? Well, if there's any doubt, just keep reading in Ephesians 4. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. These are gifts of the Spirit. Explicitly labeled gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. So, he gave the gift of the Spirit to human beings when at Pentecost... Because at that point he was being inaugurated in the heavenly sanctuary, and it's like it's like the holy anointing oil on him as the priest. You remember in, in Leviticus eight we saw that Aaron the priest was anointed on his head? It's like the holy anointing oil on Christ as the Melchizedek priest to begin his ministry. Some of that anointing oil fell down to earth and it burst into flame. And there's Pentecost. At the same time. See what's going on? So, yes, there was something there, there's something here. Now, a lot of times people say, well, 1844, you know, nothing happened down here, so we don't know. Well, there is something corresponding that needs to happen here, and that it has happened. And because of that correspondence, we we can know that what's happening up there is really true. So here he equips people for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith. The knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the point is for the whole body of believers to get mature, to grow up, grow up, church. Right? This is what he said that we should no longer be children, vulnerable, tossed around, deceived. Uh, I mean, uh, deceived. Uh, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Growth of the body for the edifying it's of itself in love. So the growth is all through. Love. That's what the Spirit deals in. You know, politicians deal in influence, and and, and, and Wall Street people deal in money, and others deal in power and things. The Holy Spirit deals in love, and love is the power. In fact, it's the greatest power in the universe, isn't it? Nothing else could have impelled Christ to die for us. As a result, look at the experience they have in Acts 4. When they'd prayed, and they'd just been threatened, by the way, by the, by the Congress of the country, imagine Congress calling you in and saying, we don't want you to do something anymore. That's like passing a law, Congress. Huh? And what happens? They are saying, we, we have to obey God rather than men. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together, see, they're assembling together to pray, there's the power of corporate prayer, was shaken, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God with boldness, meaning they didn't worry about the results. We're often as worried about ridicule as we are threats, aren't we? It's a very hard thing. What are people going to think of me? They'll think I'm not cool. They'll think I'm weird. That's just about the ultimate thing that you don't want to be weird, to be different. But, But love is the power. Love is the power that impels us to break down those walls, to not worry about the results to take that message to everybody else. And those early apostles did that. They were crucified upside down and beheaded and and french fried and boiling oil and all kinds of stuff. didn't matter. They didn't care. They were going to go on loving. That's the power of the gospel. And everyone has unity. They had all things in common. Great power. They gave witness to Christ's resurrection. Great grace on them all. Now, in the Old Testament we find that that day of Pentecost... Was 50 days. That's why it's called Pentecost, right? 50 days after a so-called wave sheaf, that is a sheaf of new grain, which is actually lifted up uh, to honor God as the one who is the Creator and gives us food. 50 days after that is Pentecost, when there's a first fruits offering of wheat, wheat to the Lord. This is in the spring. And in First Corinthians 15, Paul applies. This Christ, the first fruits. Aha, so Christ, the first fruits, was raised what day? On Sunday. Just on the day that he was supposed to, according to the ritual. Wow. Fifty days after that, Pentecost, first fruits. Three thousand people added, these are the first fruits of a great harvest of people. But there's a later harvest. Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those, and if Christ, the first fruits. afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. That's close to our time. So there is an early, and there's a later. And that's also true with the pouring out of the Spirit. In fact, here's the end-time fulfillment. Now, Peter cited this afterwards in those days, according to Joel, um, there will be this outpouring, but that was only the preview. There's a bigger one, and I'll show you why, That has to be. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. We looked at this. I'll pour out my spirit in those days. But notice that it says, on the great and terrible day of the Lord. Where does it say that? Ah, here it is. Yes. Um, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, sun shall return to darkness, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. What's that? That's the second coming of Christ. Malachi talks about that too. In Malachi 4, the Elijah message is before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But notice, wonders in the heavens and the earth. Were there those things back there at the day of Pentecost? No, it was not a complete fulfillment. Was it just before? Well, it was in the new era, but it was at the beginning of that era. They didn't know how long it was going to be. But we are now living... At the time of the end, are we? We're living at the time of the end. So, Acts 2 was only a preliminary fulfillment of Joel 2. The best is yet to come. It's about to come, because we're now in the ultimate end time. Do you believe that? Yeah, the Bible is promising. Acts 2 shows us what it looks like, but it's going to be bigger. The population is bigger, but you know, God is going to reach everyone. If things continue the way they are, we're not really, I mean, the Adventist church is, is booming. It's exploding. It's the fastest growing church. But is it keeping up with population growth in the world? I don't think so. It's going to take a long time. If something unusual doesn't happen, we may as well start stocking up our stuff, getting ready for Y3K. Get my drift? But something unusual has got to happen. Yes? hasn't come yet. We haven't seen this, but there are droplets appearing. We're seeing we're, uh, of the Spirit. We're seeing things happening, right, around the world. Unusual because things happen. Because uh, there's a writing of Mrs. White that um, it, to some people it has come already. Mm. Like ah, yes, Ellen White said, to some people it's come already. So, in other words, the, the, the latter rain has begun to some extent and yet... The, there's a, a much greater uh, phase of this that, that we uh, can see. We want more. And as Paul said at the end of First Corinthians 12, he said, he's talking about all the gifts of the Spirit to the churches, and he said, but now I show you a more excellent way. And he gets you in First Corinthians 13, and that's the love chapter. Right? A more excellent way. So, yes, we have this. It's wonderful. We're sealed by the Spirit according to Ephesians 1.13. Every Christian has been in the Christian era and and there already is a partial manifestation of this but there's more yet to come all right so let's wrap it up here and then we'll take a few questions what does it mean to be filled with the holy spirit that was our initial question receiving transformation of life receiving divine love experiencing christ's presence receiving divine guidance cooperating with other christians receiving special ability to witness to christ and no fear Holy boldness. Does that pretty much summarize what we found in this study? Okay. And I'll pause on that for a moment because I know some of you are writing. Um, We saw transformation to make you a new person, the new birth. Divine love, Romans 5.5, Christ's presence. This is how how you become one with him. Divine guidance, he teaches us, guides us into all truth. Cooperating with others, unity, Gifts of the Spirit. Uh, these are vo- vocational roles, aren't they? You have various forms of ministry and other things. And, and, and it doesn't matter. It's not just your career, what, how you earn your money, but they are Christian vocational goals that any Christian can have. And receiving special ability to witness to Christ in various kinds of ways, and then no fear. Because if you have that divine love, that, that love casts out fear. And it does. you're not worried about what other people think of you, what they're going to do to you, you're going to go on loving them anyway. All right. Now, that's the first question. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's summarize. What needs to take place in order for me and God's church to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Follow God's guidance. Be guided by God's written word. That's related, isn't it? God's guidance. Remember when I was thinking of publishing that book, whether it's that or the house, I was following God's guidance, but that's linked to the written word because the Spirit works in harmony with that, brings to our remembrance those things. Be guided by God's written word, which is also authored by the Spirit. Respond to God with total commitment. As Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. She just said yes, total commitment. Be united with other Christians. They were together when they were praying, right? And I guess that. Oh yeah, there's more on the next page. Yeah, follow God's guidance. Guide there. I've got some more on the next page. Here, pray together. That's crucial. Yes, we need to pray individually, but we also need to pray together. Persist in waiting on God. Be patient. It's not going to happen just immediately. We need to pray without ceasing. Expect and ask for miracles. Expect and ask for miracles. Things that don't ordinarily happen. And um, I've seen that happen in my life. God is so good. How many of you have experienced this? Yes. See? Yeah. And we will see much more in the future. Okay. Be ready to witness close to home. All right. I'll go back to that last one in case you wanted to review uh, okay, dying love, Christ's presence. All right, no fear. This one. Okay. And then, do we have any questions? Comments, please. I, absolutely, it's overcoming human willpower. That's where the victory lies, and the Spirit helps us do that. It rearranges our priorities, and that's what so many people lack. So, people are just hungry for that. To use the, that not meant to be a pun, but um, but they they want that ability to overcome their cravings and various things that are out of control, and we need to teach them and help them. And there are a lot of people, you know, who are who are, say, obese but starving. They're not getting nutrients, they're just getting too many calories, too much fat, and that kind of thing. And so our health message is so crucial. ministry of healing is wonderful, where Ellen White talks about how uh, Jesus went around. He mingled with people, showed how he was concerned about their good, and he ministered to them, helped them, and then he called and said, follow me. Yeah, that's, that's the order. It's not this business of, oh my, I knew some very dear friends whose whose way of witnessing was going and handing out um, a, a book on the, the, sun, uh, the Mark of the Beast and a Sunday law uh, coming, the National Sunday Law. That's the way that they thought to witness. That shouldn't be the first thing that people learn about us. And, and some people have put up billboards attacking uh, various kinds of Christian groups and individuals, particularly one who has a triple crown, you know. And that is absolutely not the way we're to witness. It's Christ's way. If we want to get Christ's results, yes, Mm -hmm. I'll repeat the question, by the way, after she asks. Does the Holy Spirit wait? There are times in our lives that we can see that the Holy Spirit is prompting us Mm -hmm. to do a special project. Does the Holy Spirit wait? Does the Holy Spirit wait? Because. Mm Mm-hmm. Does the Holy Spirit wait? Well, it's, you know, God, God has his timing. When, when I ask for love in a relationship and it's urgent, it's an emergency, I discover that it happened right then. When I w- my wife and I w- were asking for some money to come, you know, to meet a particular need uh, or a job and something like that, sometimes what would happen is it would happen just at the last minute. And then I knew it was God doing it; it was providential. The timing was so exquisite, and so He has His timing, so that He He helps you to link what's going on with what He's doing, that it wouldn't be happening otherwise. And sometimes, though, there are things in our lives that need to get; we need to be putting in order before we're ready to receive Him. And I think that that applies to us to a large extent corporately, in our church. We need to give up a lot on our own egos. On our criticizing each other, in our striving for control, you know, how many? We're going to talk about this a little bit more um, this afternoon. no No, No waiting. Sometimes there can be waiting. I mean, the an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Holy Spirit is waiting for us to just follow His previous directions, and I think that's what's going on. And how many churches, church congregations? Are toxic under these funny little people who have been um, you know at each other's throats for the last however many decades and it's never going to quit till the Lord comes and God is not able to bring people into that but there is a solution (laughs) there's a solution and that's called church planting yeah because you're not limited the Holy Spirit is not limited to physical structures Home churches, that's where it was in the early Christian church. Yes? Uh, Could you explain to me more about what Christ led captivity captivity, captive? Something that, I mean, I've heard what the other churches say about that, -hmm. but what does it mean? Led captivity captive. Well, you see, it says also in the Bible that um, death is going to be killed. Okay, so when you kill death or lead captivity captive, it means that you're destroying it. He's destroying captivity, which means, ultimately, in this context, it, it goes back to John twelve thirty one. The prince of this world is cast out. The one who has everyone captive, planet Earth. He had captive. Now, Christ has destroyed that captivity. He's led captivity. What is captivity? It's really Satan, isn't it, who is putting everyone in captivity. He leads that oppressor captive, that is, Satan is now under the thumb of Jesus. That's what, that's what the first temptation of Christ was all about. Just, Jesus, you bow down and worship me. Because Jesus was always over uh, this world anyway. wasn't as the creator. But he, 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 he didn't have the dominion of this world in the sense that Adam and Eve did. Satan usurped that dominion over the world that God gave as a gift. And he's always been under Christ. Christ so Satan said, let's change places. You be number two and I'll be numero uno, right? What would then have happened to all of us? Okay? So that has changed and he's taken this away so that we are free. He's liberated us. Yeah. We had another comment in here? Yes, yeah, please. I wanted to ask about um the hmm and I think it was water because I have some friends that ours. Are, they there are called Seven Day Adventists that they believe in Ellen White. Oh, yes. Well, okay, the question is about the Trinity, and some people are digging up early Adventist history. You know, some folks are fixated on the pioneers, and it's very interesting and helpful to go back there. But you know, the Lord is leading us as an ongoing movement. Uh, when God was leading the Israelites, you had to stay with the Shekinah. You didn't go back and, uh, and worship the Lord in a shrine uh, where they'd been. So it's not 1844 that we're living in right now. It's not 1888. It's not 1944. It's 2011, with all of this accumulated light. Now, to, to say that because Uriah Smith and James White and some of the others were a bit shaky on the Trinity, some of them were a bit Arian, they didn't think that Jesus was fully God and, and so on, and that's a bit overblown in terms of um, really describing their views anyway, but, but at least if you were to say that, then does that make sense because they started out that way that we should go back to that? Maybe we should all become Methodists because Ellen White was originally Methodist Maybe we should eat pork because she ate pork originally. Just turn history back. It doesn't make sense. They learned better. Ellen White helped them with that and and through Scripture. It wasn't that Ellen White was making this up. She was helping point to Scripture, and she's very strong on the Trinity. So it doesn't make any kind of sense. So the the Bible makes very clear that the Holy Spirit's a personality, that Jesus is God. He says, before Abraham was, I am, right? Right? That's the term for the great I Am. That's how God revealed himself to Moses. And there's all kinds of other evidence. The fact that he could read the thoughts of Simon. Only God can read thoughts. The fact that he could heal a paralytic, Mark 2, as God heals. Otherwise, he would be a blasphemer if he were not God. You know, Jesus was God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a personality. And um, I think that's very clear. But, but to me, the ultimate thing is something my daughter pointed out recently. She just read a book on the Trinity. She's going into theology. And she pointed out, if God is love, love requires some kind of society. Yeah. Yeah. So there has to be some kind of sharing. And that's the Trinity from the beginning. God is love. Now, we are out of time, but this afternoon we're going to continue, and there will be more time for questions there. We had to lay the foundation. There was an awful lot to cover here, but we will have more time. So if there are any questions that are residual from this session, we can take them the next one and so on. So I hope you have a wonderful um, interlude and then lunch, and we'll see you later. Let's have a final prayer just for a moment. Let's just pause and have a prayer, shall we? All right. Father in heaven, we, we have to praise you, After all of this, we can't just go our way without acknowledging that we want to be like Mary. We want to accept. May it be to us according to your word. We want your spirit to come in, to seal us, to change us, to guide us, and make us your witnesses to the ends of the earth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.